All right, welcome to Brookside. Welcome to Christmas time. Welcome to Baptism Sunday. Welcome to Orphan Sunday. We have so much going on today. And so in pursuance to how much we have going on, um, I'm going to move quickly here. Uh, we're going to throw chairs aside. Is that our cool thing? We'll do that. Woo. All right. Um, yeah, all the cool kids are doing it. Um, I'm Steve Risky. I'm the teaching pastor here at Brookside right now. And this is Amy. Amy is... Um, I never, you know, Amy is the person that makes this place run right. Okay, it's 100% true. She, uh, in the office, makes sure that um, our agenda is set and that we're, we're all working together. Uh, she helps our community groups make right and, and make sure that we as a body are looking out. She's one of the most amazing people. And by the way, who caught, who caught her sermon last week, right? So I don't know what to call her because I think every title would lower it from just Amy. Amy is the standard for Amyness. So with that being said. I have no mic. <laughs> I love power. It's way over there. Okay, so um, to get us started, I want to say a few words about baptism. Uh, today we're going to baptize uh, three young women. And we're very excited about it. But when those things happen, as a pastor, I always want to be really sensitive to the fact that many churches see baptism in a lot of different ways. Uh, some of you, maybe you came from a church um, where, where, we, where we dunk our baby. Well, we don't dunk the babies. We baptize them as babies, though. Uh, the Greek Orthodox do, though. They'll right under the water. And as a way of saying that this one is one of the Christians right from the beginning, uh, we, as, uh, as with many Protestant churches, believe that it's a choice that someone would have to make for themselves. And maybe some others might think, are they too young? Shouldn't they be adults to make this decision for themselves? And to be sure, they must make the decision for themselves. As parents, we don't. Um, as a matter of fact, usually as parents, we're like, are you sure? Okay, I mean, I, but it's not our place. It is their lives, and they do get to choose. And each of them today, you're going to hear a little about their choice to choose this thing, which I'll just say three things about real quick. Number one, as a symbol, it's a brilliant symbol, because there's the dying and rising again picture, that along with Christ, we are buried and rose again. But also, it is a symbol of washing, right? Washing our sins clean. And, and in scripturally, it, it meets both of those. But it does something really practical. And if you could imagine, maybe we were in a persecuted country, this would become really clear. Maybe uh, you're from a place where Hinduism, for example, is a common religion, and you're from a Hindu family, and you started following Jesus, and you say, oh yeah, I'm into Jesus, the Jesus thing's good, and your family's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But the day you baptize, it is the public declaration that I am one of those. It is, it is before all, before God and before man, like, like a wedding, saying, I am a follower of Jesus. It's a public declaration. And so with that, we are going to invite, um, well, Amy, uh, Amy, why don't you, oh, you found a microphone so you could have power. Okay, I like this. All right, it's good, it's good. Um, yes, we're going to have three ladies. Okay. Steve's going to get in the baptism without a microphone, so that's good. How about I switch? I'm going to switch. Is that okay? Yes, awesome. Um, okay, three logistic things. Good morning. Um, I'm Amy, the director of Outward Movement, if you're wondering what that is. Um, uh, three things. This is a sacred party. 
So we're not golf clapping around here. When someone get baptized, we hoop and holler and we cheer. So get ready for the energy that comes. The second thing is kiddos, if you want to come and even sit real close and see what's happening, feel free to come on up. This is That's no problem. And you can sit right here. A lot of them are already up front too. And then the third thing is with every story uh, or with every person that's getting baptized, we're just going to hear just a little bit of their story. It could be a minute, could be um, two, but we just love to hear um, these people testify to why they're going to get baptized. So we ha it's a girl party today. So we have three girls and I'm going to, I'm going to welcome up Laura Brown, who's going to come on up here. Yes. What's fun? Yes. What's fun about Laura is, and she might talk about this, but two years ago, she really wanted to be baptized. Um, but there were some things in the way, but now she's going to do it, which is really fun. So Laura, do you want to tell us why you want to get baptized this morning? So I'll be obviously getting it, uh, adopted soon by the Browns. That's why she said Laura Brown. And I'm excited, but nervous at the same time. Nervous because I've always been excited, but when you're this close, you stop and think, am I really doing this? I love the Brown family to death, but I love my biological mom equally. My biological mom has done a lot of wrong things, but you have to choose to forgive. I know all of you in this room have done something that you regret. My biological mom has to be reminded of that every day when she wakes up without her kids. That's rough. Sometimes I cry about not seeing her. Sometimes I laugh about our memories. When I'm with the Browns, I know they love me no matter what emotion I have. Even then, I still get mad or sad at them, and that's normal. I mean, if your kids are never mad at you, you don't have that bond with them. Even when they don't show it, it's always there. That very strong bond. I have created that bond with the Browns in three short years. I love them so much, but none of this would have happened if God hadn't led me down the path he has. Today, I want to give myself to God so that he can continue to lead me down the path he has set for me and so that I can trust him and believe in him even more. Yes. This is amazing. Can we hold that? And you can head down there. Ah. Super beautiful. We get to hear from Michael and Teresa in a little bit, so I don't know how they're going to do that. It's beautiful. Um, next, we have Anna Puffer. She's going to be coming up here. Yay, Anna! Good morning. Can you tell us why you want to get baptized today? Um, I've always been a Christian since I can remember, and these past few weeks to a month, I've just wanted to followed Christ like forever and so I wanted to get baptized 
There it is. Amen. Go ahead. We have one more. Um, Maya Burris is going to make her way up. Yes, but I just want to tell you, she's making her way up. If you are sitting here and you're thinking, I want to get baptized, we, we're not going to let formality stop that. You can come up here and get baptized this morning. So we have towels. We have clothes. Don't let that stop you if you're thinking about it. But we have Maya up here. Good morning. Do you, she's like, all right. Do you want to tell us why you want to get baptized this morning? Yeah, because I believe in Jesus. He protects me when I'm scared. He is there with me. Amen. All right, girly, go ahead. This is so beautiful, you guys. Thank you so, so much. Um, we have, I mean, our, our baptism mornings, oh, I'm stuck, my shoe got stuck. Um, our baptism mornings are just fantastic, and we also get the chance to hear from Michael and Teresa Brown. So I'm gonna bring you guys up right now, um, because on top of seeing people declare Christ publicly, um, we're, we wanna also talk about God's heart, and it, it fits perfectly um, with what we're gonna be talking about this morning, with being even adopted into the kingdom of God um, as, as God is your father. So um, Michael is an elder here at Brookside, and Teresa is his fantastic wife who is often quietly making a fantastic dent in the world for the kingdom of God. So will you please welcome Michael and Teresa Brown this morning.
But what I want to talk about today, what Teresa and I will share a little bit about our journey and kind of weave some ideas through that, is just that God's heart so often works. You know, when I was a uh, new student at Ohio University, I was raised in a very religious background and a fairly dysfunctional uh, religious background. And I didn't really understand and have a sense of what it meant to walk deeply with Christ until I got to Ohio University as a student and got involved in the campus ministry of crew. And it was through those first four, three or four years of my really intense spiritual journey and just resetting the trajectory for my life in regards to what it meant to walk deeply with Christ. I began to put a lot of building blocks into my life as to what God would have from me and for me and what it meant to walk with God and to be God's friend and some things that I've shared here on occasion. But in my early Christian experience, um, a lot of what I thought God most cared about was me reading the Bible, which I think is obviously awesome, memorizing the scriptures, getting to know him, uh, sharing my faith. That was really fun for me to learn to have spiritual conversations with other people. And, and yet as I journeyed through those first four years and even into when Teresa and I decided to come on staff and to work in campus ministry for the, the very large chunk of our first part of our marriage and family, I hadn't really given much thought to James 1.27 when the brother of Jesus wrote and penned these words that when something like this that religion that God considers pure and faultless is this looking after orphans and widows who are in distress and yeah, I've seen those because I'd read through the Bible a couple of times in my early days at Ohio University in my early part of my spiritual journey but it hadn't really stuck and started having children and moved to, to Bowling Green State University and working in the campus industry or University of Kansas and then here. But then didn't really start thinking about those things until my dearest wife on occasion would continue to kind of very gently as she often does. If you know Teresa, she knows, you know, she's not going to proclaim things from the rooftop. She's just going to very quietly and very gently say, are you considering No. <laughs> Have you thought about orphan and those that, that God speaks to. So um, that was kind of my introduction. And I want to share also one more thing, and I'm going to let Teresa begin to kind of share a little bit about our journey, because she really is the one to kick off our journey in some of these things. Is I think through my spiritual journey, one of the things that I've realized, and there's several principles that have become kind of foundational building blocks. And one of them is this. I fear that I will get to the and will care far more about the, care deeply about the things that God could care little about and care very little about the things that God cares most about. And so that's been for me, even as I'm pushing 50 now and thinking about the second half of my life, thinking to myself, wow, I don't want to be the Christian who is trumpeting the things across culture and American culture and Christian culture that maybe God doesn't care as much about. But I want my eyes to be locked in and on those things and, and those people and those individuals and those causes that he cares most about and my ears really closely listening to his voice in regards to those things. So that's my kind of introductory thoughts and then Teresa's going to share a little bit about kind of our journey. Um, so I always, growing up, wanted to adopt. I'm not sure why there isn't anybody in my family or friends who had adopted, but I'd always wanted to do that. Um, and 
probably, I didn't really know anything about foster care, however, until a new foster care agency came into Bowling Green um, back in 2002. And during that time, uh, our daughter Lauren and her brothers, Justin and Logan, just those brothers at this point, decided that during a family garage sale, they wanted to sell Freezy Pops to raise money to buy teddy bears for children who are in foster care, because we had seen advertisements about this new agency. Um, and that was just the beginnings of understanding a little bit more about what foster care is. Um, after that, I continued to bring that up, as he said to Michael, about you know now not just the adoption, but you know what about foster care um, to care for kids who are in crisis for a short window of their lives while they hopefully are prepared to go back to their families or be adopted if that's the case. And Michael just kept on saying, you know, we've got our hands full, which we did. We had four children. Um, the oldest was probably about ten or eleven, and so we did have our hands full. But it wasn't until he started taking some classes at Moody Bible Institute that his heart began to change. Yeah, so I was actually in a master's program, a master's of theology and ministry, um, Moody Theological Seminary in Chicago, and I would travel there regularly and kept encountering probably every two or three classes, um, Dr. John Feuder, who was one of the th um, seminary professors there, who actually was the only seminary, all the seminary professors were Caucasian. But he was the only professor who actually lived in the city and everyone else lived in the suburbs. And he not only lived in the city, but he actually lived in one of the most desperate parts of the city and wanted to really move in with his family in places and spaces where Jesus would have been um, and Jesus would have spent time. But for many of us as American Christians, we're like, mm, that's something we'll go visit and then pull out from time to time and do mission trips. And he would talk about this in class. I took an evangelism class with him, and it was the same class. God cares about the orphans, the widows, the strangers, and the poor. I would take a counseling class with Dr. Feuder, and the class was about God cares about the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the poor. We would talk, every class, uh, Romans, uh, God's care, I was like, where is that in Romans? It's not. But the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the poor. And he would regularly say, and I remember sitting there, my, I'd feel this thing rising up in me like, because his, his, his famous phrase was, shame on us. And he would just get really whispery, shame on us for not caring deeply about these marginalized groups of people that God speaks about in the scriptures over 3,000 times. And I was like, what, 3,000 times? And I started studying and looking at this and, and my heart began and he's like, today there's no class, we're taking a field trip into the inner city of Chicago. <laughs> and we were going these places that felt really scary to me, but not to him because that was his home and he would talk and he would be interacting with everyone. They were like, Doc Fooder, Doc Fooder, Doc Fooder. And they just all knew him as Doc and just his presence there. And something began to rise up within me as I began to see my, the difference between my life even here in Bowling Green, Ohio, working with college students that though there was some diversity and there was some poverty and there was, for the most part, they were upper middle to upper middle class who had enough money for Starbucks and who had enough you know, money to be able to eat most of the cases. And I thought, you know, I want to keep doing that. I love the work with campus ministry. But I feel like Teresa's right. We need to begin bringing this other, we need to begin thinking more about it. So I said to Teresa, I said, okay, I'm willing to go through training 
and maybe for a weekend here and there, help some of our friends who are fostering and, and maybe take you know some children and then we'll just see how it goes and that's kind of what happened. Yeah, so that was in the summer of 2003 and um, we did, we got trained that summer to be foster parents and we got our first placement in September, so pretty quickly after we got our license. Um, we first did a few respite weekends where we would just kind of help take care of children that were in other foster homes so that that family could get a break. Um, but then we had our first placement in 2003. Um, and since that time, we've had 21 children living in our home for varying lengths of time, anywhere from three weeks to over three years. Um, and our heart really was at that time to just continue to be a foster family only. Um, so our first placement was, she was about nine years old and um, she stayed with us for almost three years and then was adopted by a family here in Bowling Green. So we still have connections with her. She's doing very well. Um, then kind of overlapping the time that she was with us, we had Chris who was about 12 years old when he came to us. And did you want to share any more about Chris or you want me to? He was a very challenging placement. We loved him, but we actually came to a place where we uh, needed to say, he was in the process of being adopted. He sabotaged that adoption through a variety of circumstances. And uh, we were not feel like, we did not feel like we were in a position to take him back into our home. Um, we may talk more about Chris throughout the rest of our story, but Chris is currently in prison and is uh, set to be released sometime in 2019. And we will continue to have ongoing contact with him and help him as he begins to, to um, make his transition back into society. But that was a challenging one. Yeah, he was a challenge. And then we had um, a teen and her five-week-old move in with us. And that was a really um, hard but eye-opening experience, uh, especially for our kids. Our daughter, Lauren, at that time was probably 12 or 13, and she was you know, living in a house where the room next to her was this teen girl who already had a baby. Um, and her, her situation was kind of a good one in that um, after an initial couple weeks with us, her family, her birth family, was able to really, really pull it together and get the help and the treatment they needed so that she could, she and their grandson can return. So she was with us for about nine months. Um, and then we had uh, two preschool-aged children, three and five, Lexi and Elijah, who were with us for about two and a half years. They were the first children that we took in who had severe medical needs due to medical neglect as well as just lots of other neglect. They were both very uh, developmentally challenged um, and very medically fragile. Um, and during that time, Lauren, our daughter, had always wanted to have a sister. And partly what she was so excited about for in foster care, oh, now I'm gonna cry, um, was having a sister. But um, when Lexi and Elijah had been with us um, and it was kind of moving to the point of them not being able to return home, we just didn't feel that we could handle them with the children we had. Um, and born out of that was Lauren's desire to continue to work in child welfare. And so she got her social work degree and her master's degree in social work and she's now a supervisor in Summit County, which is Akron Children's Services, um, caring for those exact children who um, lived, have lived in our home. Not the exact children, but similar situations to what's been in our home. Um, 
And then, while we still had these two, we found out that their birth mom had another baby. And um, we were asked to pick him up from the hospital and bring him home for what we thought was just going to be a short while. But um, the Jameson that you all have come to know and love um, came to our home again initially just as a foster child but as it became apparent that although his birth mom loved him so 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 much it became apparent that she was not going to be able to care for and support him um, for the rest of his life we had the um, opportunity to make one of the best decisions we've ever made and that is to adopt him um, so that's Jameson, and Jameson has taught us so much about so many things. Um, he's opened our eyes um, just to the rampant prejudices still surrounding um, other other races, and I don't know if you wanted to talk a little about that. Yeah, so I think in many ways we've continued to expand our view now beyond just modern-day orphans, but thinking about the poor and thinking about people of color within culture and particularly some of the societal issues that contribute to that. and have been very thoughtful, particularly now that we are raising an African-American son and what that looks like and seeking to really create a situation where we can have mentors and, oh, he's bringing you tissues. And oh, all. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you, son. Um, so uh, that's been really powerful for us to think a lot about race and to actually talk as a family about race and um, even as a church talking a lot about race and we have kingdom empowerment you know, when they're here with us, worshiping with us, and what does that mean, and what are their experiences? And even recently, I've had the privilege of becoming the life coach for the men's basketball team here at the university, and 11 of those 14 players are African-American, and just to be able to hang out with them, and to spend time with our family, and to spend time with Jameson, and he can talk uh, in, in, with, with men who are African-American, and even begin to have some of those conversations. And I did want to inject, even in the conversation, if I may, you know, even here in Bowling Green, there's tremendous racism. I mean, even here in Bowling Green, some of our students of color and faculty of color, and even within our church, we've had some experiences that we've heard of horrible things. And I'll share, even about a month and a half ago, I was at Sam B's with, actually Buffalo Wild Wings on this particular night, with five of the African-American basketball players. And their stories even here are so heartbreaking. Because when they go out in public in Bowling Green, Ohio, wearing their orange and brown and their athletic gear, they are celebrities. But if they change their clothes to wear typical clothes that they would wear for comfort, that they would enjoy within their culture, they are viewed in many spaces and places within Bowling Green as criminals. And they're responded to accordingly that way, simply because of a change of clothes. And, and that's maybe a larger conversation for another day, but I do want to inject it because we're talking about those things that breaks God's heart. And I think as a church and as an eldership and as a leadership, these are things that we want to think deeply about and not just modern-day orphans. Um, then our next placement was two biracial girls who actually were part Navajo. And so we had the opportunity then to learn more about um, the differences and different rules and things that go along with um, children who are of Native American, uh, Native in American Indian descent. Um, so they were with us for about nine months. Uh, we then had two twin sisters who were 14, um, and they were just with us for about three weeks because they're, they were coming from another foster home and their case was winding down. So we just had them for a little while. Uh, then we had a teen boy named Tyler. Um, 
He was one of our tougher teen boys. We've had quite a few tough teen boys. Um, but we had Tyler for about a year. And then we had a little girl who was um, starting kindergarten with us, Caitlin. And she was with us for about 10 or 11 months until she was able to uh, move in with one of her grandparents. Um, we had... Um, we have three other sisters who are with us for about three months. So some of these kids didn't stay with us for, for really long, others for longer. Um, and then we got the call about Brandon. And then, yeah, then Brandon came. Brandon, 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 Brandon. So Brandon call, got the phone call, and, and, and this was one of those situations where like he's in juvenile detention center, um, but he'll be out soon. Would you be willing to take him? And I'm like, I think I really want to. Teresa's like, I think I really don't. <laughs> and um, so I began to visit him in the juvenile detention center and build a, build a friendship with Brandon. And uh, it was interesting, even just recently, we got a text message from him, and I'll occasionally he will jump into a, some conversations with me. And, but he was one of those very difficult situations where I honestly felt like I could have adopted him into our home and he could have become my son, but there were so many challenges it just did not feel like it was a good fit for our family at that time. And I, I guess that's part of even us sharing our story and being so explicit and specific about these different children that have lived in and out of our home. There's, it's messy. And it's not like, ooh, all like amazing. You know, God's heart breaks. And so God just, his grace is there, but it's not always like, wow, this is the, so fun all the time. It was hard. That was heartbreaking. Um, he's been in and out of trouble uh, in, 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 even recent days and we're in contact with his mom and with even some of his family members, his brother, and then even a lot of the different uh, families of, of individuals that we've had in our home, in and out of our home, we continue to have some contact with. But I wanted to share a little bit about Brandon. Um, and then we've had our four daughters who've been with us, the Ward sisters, who've been with us for about three and a half years. And as Laura so beautifully shared from up front, um, Adoption is a beautiful thing and a hard thing. It's bittersweet. Um, it's hard for these girls because they desperately love their birth families. Um, and so uh, permanently coming into another family is a hard thing. Um, it's really plan B for their life. Um, but it's a beautiful thing for us because they've been with us for so long that we already, for years now, view them as our daughters. But on December 14th, we're going to be able to final, finalize, legal, make that be a legal done deal in court, which we are really excited about. Um, but another thing, just back to where Lauren, when we initially um, started fostering and she was looking forward to having sisters. Um, we adopted Jameson, so she got another brother. <laughs> um, but just to see God's faithfulness, in, but now she has four sisters and a sister-in-law who's also her sister. And to just see how God has honored that desire of her heart for so long and um, to have her four, five sisters uh, standing up in her wedding a few weeks ago was a dream come true for her. So. Um, adoption is bittersweet um some days are all bitter some days are sweet and we're looking forward to even as the story continues to unfold the redemptive story of god's plan for um, julie and michelle and laura and Kara. i mean won't it be a beautiful day and this is our prayer and this is our hope for them and for us where they would have relationships restored with their mother and with the family and to be able to continue to have 
those connections and because there's plenty of love to go around and so when you adopt a child it's not like oh, all of your love needs to be here and you can't love anyone else we uh, though it can be hard for them and for us and even as we continue to meld these meld these families together there's challenges that come with that but we are looking and I'm praying and I know Teresa is joining me in this for a, for a grander redemptive story even down the road and so I love the fact that Laura can be raw and Julie and Michelle and Kara can express the rawness of this is where we are and this is how we feel but we want them to know that they are our daughters and with all of their feelings and all of their experiences and all that they may be going through even in these weeks ahead we are thrilled to invite you into the Brown family so, um, that said um, as well um, David and Katie Thompson are adopting a two children as well. Cadence and Talon, correct? And so we're adopting on the 14th. They're adopting on the 10th. And they're going to bring some children into their home. And I was talking to Dave actually at Kroger the other day. We're having a huge open house at our house on December 14th, that Friday night, and invite all of you to come and celebrate. And, and David... I don't know if he got Katie's permission to say this, but he said, oh, for sure, all of you are invited to come to their house the next day on the 15th for a adoption celebration. So that weekend, even as a Brookside church, it's a time of celebration because we're going to bring all of you, as many of you want to come and celebrate at the Brown home to celebrate these girls and to be able to come the next day to the Thompson home and to celebrate those children and their, re, their, their adoption of, their, of these, these family members. And it's just going to be a time of celebration. And this is what struck me this morning, even as we are singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, I'm going to be sensitive to time here, is that I know for often, I've had some of these conversations even with the girls, it feels awkward to f have people refer to you as an orphan feels awkward like in our culture like if you're a foster child one of the first questions is asked to you is so how many times have you been in and out of jail what are all the bad things you do what are, what are all your issues but this is what struck me even as I was sitting here this morning and, and was keenly reminded of every one of us were orphans there's not oh you're an orphan and I'm not an orphan you have a fan all of us were orphans the scriptures are clear that God reached down when we had no hope and no life and no relationship with our creator and said, I choose you. And so we're all orphans. And so when we think about, oh, we have these family and then we have orphans we need to care for. In reality, we all are orphans who have been rescued. We all needed. We all have issues. We all have tremendous brokenness in our lives and we desperately need the Father and the Savior to come in and do that. I want to close with a passage of scripture and then share a few things very specifically. Acts chapter 6. I shared from James chapter 1, but Acts chapter 6 is the church was growing and the numbers of disciples were growing within the church. They actually chose seven. In those days when the, oh, excuse me, Well, I think I can do it without my glasses. Let's see if I can do it. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect this ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of his spirit and wisdom. And they chose seven, one of which was Stephen, to care for the widows. I think so often when we think about 
they appeared. Uh, so often when we think about um, this idea of orphans and widows and poor and strangers, when I use strangers, I mean that was a big conversation. I think of modern day immigrants. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute in regards to application for our modern day immigrants. But there's this idea that that's something we'll do in the side, side margins of our ministry. But actually the apostle said, no, we're going to choose the very, very best. Those who are full of wisdom in the spirit. And this is going to be one of the central things to which we do as a, as a church in the New Testament. Not just something extra if we have a little extra dollars to throw that way or a little extra time to send that direction. Or a few volunteers who might, there might be those rare people within our congregation who are, who are willing to kind of, oh yeah, I care about that. But that all of us as a church and as a Brookside community, we would care deeply for our neighbors. But when we talk about loving our neighbors, it's just not those who live in our suburban subdivisions. It's those around us in our city and communities and region who are hurting and are lonely, who are poor. Opening our homes not only to the block party, but to those, to those who desperately need a home. Um, one of the things even you'll notice, it is Orphan Sunday two weeks ago, but there's a heart gallery right here in the back of the sanctuary of our meeting space. These are all children that are currently in foster care waiting to be adopted. In Northwest Ohio. In Northwest Ohio. Yeah. They've been just waiting. So even Teresa and I in, in recent years started the, uh, Teresa's initiative to start Open Homes, which is our nonprofit organization, to take this a step further and say, not only do we want to, uh, to have foster families, but we want to actually empty the foster roles, particularly of lingering teens that are just sitting there waiting for someone. And you could go at Open Homes and you can Google it and you can read about these stories of, of teenagers right here in our neighborhoods who just need someone to connect with. Now, some of you may be like, oh my gosh, are they asking us to adopt teenagers this week? Maybe that's what God would have you do. But there's a variety, and you'll see in the information back there, there's a variety of ways to be involved. Gift cards for these kids and, and assistance for those who are foster care parents to help give rides and, and, and to be able to babysit and to be able to provide rides to school functions for those of us who have large families, who have lots of foster children. And that's true even throughout our congregation and the Brookside family here today. But not just for foster kids, but also for immigrants. Um, Christina um, Yaniga, I hope I'm saying that correctly, um, recently has been connected to a group called Los Niños in Ohio. That actually Ohio has experienced two of the largest immigration and uh, raids in our history. And there are many children because of that who have been left without parents. So she's involved and there's even others of us in the church that are starting to say, this is going to be one of those things that we're going to put forward and say, how do we provide for the needs of these children whose parents um, are illegal immigrants who have come into our country, many of them seeking asylum and help and rescue, and now there's been these raids. And I'm not trying to make a political statement on that at all, but just the reality, there's these children left behind that Christ would have met their needs and that church would have met their needs. And we are going to be involved in that. And we'll talk more about that in, in the weeks and the months to come. But in the back, there's an orphan open homes flyers and talk to Christina about her work with immigrants. And there's those of us here who are involved with the poor and ministries to the homeless. And I want you to know, and Teresa as well, like we're so excited to be on this journey with our girls, with our family, with you. You know, Rob said at the beginning of our service, it feels a little bit like a mishmash of like various things. But I hope you have sensed how they all fit together. That God looks at each of us 
as orphans who he wants to rescue. We even saw a demonstration of that today where these three children have said, yeah, I'm an orphan spiritually and I want to be in a friendship with the creator through Christ. And for all of us, as we think about the needs of the world and the needs of our community and even in Northwest Ohio and, and even families here in this community, there's things to celebrate, there's things to mourn. And Brookside is committed to being involved in the messiness of people's lives. We are not looking for a sanitized ministry. We are not interested in that which is easy. We are interested in that which is God and is most on God's heart. If I could bring the, um, the worship team up at this point in time, I actually didn't know if I would share this, but I think it would be a good uh, segue into our worship today. But Christopher, who is in prison right now and has had ongoing contact with our family, Justin and Lauren have visited him in prison because we could talk a lot about God's heart for the prisoners and what that looks like. He went from foster to our family to prison and so forth. But actually on a Father's Day when he was living with us, he wrote me a poem and he continues to write he continues to write poems to this day and continues to write even as he is in prison. And one Father's Day, I got this, this framed poem from Chris. And he, it's called A Father's Poem. And he wrote this. He says, this is a poem for an awesome father who took me in when no one else would bother. That's pure respect for a boy he didn't even know. He, expect, he accepted in a wonderful home, which helped me to grow. He introduced me to his family, which was a sign that he cared, which led me to believe that I shouldn't be scared. He's cool. He's respectful, like the dad I never had. Come to think about it, my life isn't so bad. I want to thank you for being my father, comforting me when no one else would bother. It's pretty weird that you're so nice when my attitude wasn't so precise. Thanks for giving me joy when my life was like. A broken toy. I hope you did find the commonality in all of what Michael and Teresa talked about today. You know, and the, the night before the Savior died and, and he sat the disciples down and he said, the world is going to know our, the we're his disciples by, by our love. And the, but then he doesn't just say love because love that doesn't cost something is just a sentiment. Love that doesn't, doesn't break some part of my heart, doesn't leave some part of me having to die and finding life in God. It's, it's just benign good feelings. And it's not capable of fixing the earth. It's not capable of changing anything. The kind of love that he talked about, because he didn't just say that we would love one another. He said, in the same way that he loved us, so we must love one another. And we know that's the cross. The shape of God's love is a cross. And as we go into Christmas, there's going to be a lot of celebrating. It's, it's one of the very best times of the year. And the Christmas music and the eggnog will be flowing and the presents and the gifts and all these sorts of things and it should feel amazing and yet if we plaster over a couple who couldn't find room and had a baby and had to lay that baby in a, in a cow trough if we, if we plaster over a king who would give away everything to come and be with us and save us then we've missed everything so when we say Merry Christmas to you, we hope it hurts a bit. 
We hope you find some place where God is asking you to lay down your life. And we talked about children and, and we even talked about immigrants and we talked about one another and there's so many ways. But I want your Christmas this year if you would, if you would take the challenge to cost you something. And not just money. Cost you something of your heart. Put your heart at risk that it could be hurt or broken, those sorts of things, okay? And so we're about to roll into uh, Christmas. We'll start the, the Advent season next week. The Christmas music started early. Uh, I'm not offended. It's after Thanksgiving. We're good. All right. So just to close us, uh, two real quick announcements. The, uh, the vote, which is really weird. I'm giving the announcement. The vote to decide whether or not I should be the teaching pastor uh, permanently is in two weeks. And so um, as always, uh, as we lead a church and as we be a church together, the answer is not, is there a right answer? What is God telling you? But that you would lay down your heart, and, and, and those of you who uh, are members in our church, that you would lay this vote before the Lord and ask him what he wants, and that you'd do accordingly. And in that way, we together would find out what he wants. And that would be the best possible thing. The best possible outcome is not a yes vote or a no vote. It's what the God wants vote. And that's got to be found to you in your heart. All right. Um, beyond that, on December 24th, it's a Monday night, so we'll meet December 23rd for church, uh, because it's a Sunday morning, as we do. Um, although the following week, uh, because it's between Christmas and New Year's, and because the university is um, mostly closed, and because we want the poor people who have to actually work to make this happen have a week off, we do not meet the week uh, between Christmas and New Year's. But on December 24th, Christmas Eve, Monday night, we will meet at 6 o'clock and have a Christmas Eve service. Um, for a number of years, we've done that together with H2O Church and, and with uh, Covenant Church over um, on Haskins. But um, for a number of reasons, uh, each of the churches asked if we, uh, they could do it personally in their own building. And there's a real reason for it. It's not that we're not somehow still unified. I expect Good Friday service will be together. But because as services go, it's an incredible opportunity for us to bring people and say, this is who we are. Come celebrate Christmas with us. And a chance to really help people even see what these churches are about and have them join. And so there's a certain loving sacrifice in it that we want to be able to invite anybody. It won't be a, a sermony service, by the way. We'll be singing a lot of Christmas carols and, and reading verses together. And it will be... Um, it's going to be a really fun evening, but it will be uh, just us this year for those who've been asking. And the reasons are not malignant, but they're actually self-sacrificial. And we wanted you to hear that. So have a great week, and we will see you next time as the Advent services begin. God bless.